The sermon this morning will be a little different. I'm sure some of you were able to figure that out simply from the sermon title alone. But I've been feeling a push, both from the congregation and the Holy Spirit, to take just a few minutes to facilitate the beginnings of some eschatological and etymological conversations. The, the eschatological conversation is future-based. It is speaking theo- it's, there's so many ologies, blah, blah, blah. It's all this Duke words in my mouth, you know, all this seminary learning. It is speaking theologically about the final events of history or the ultimate destiny of humanity. To live in God's presence for eternity is our eschatological goal. It's how we get there. And even how we begin to engage in that calling and goal is part of the process of our sanctification and our moving on towards perfection. The etymological conversation that accompanies this is focused on the origin of certain words and the way in which their meanings have changed throughout history. I have intentionally chosen a few words this morning, but it is my hope that this will lead to other conversations with all kinds of other words. And so as we read the gospel together this morning, the goal is to connect all of this together and come back together around the table of grace and mercy And we're going to do all of this in less than 20 minutes. So here we go. If you'll open up your Bibles with me to page 80. We're going to read together in the New Testament, page 80. The bottom of page 80, Luke chapter 21. Now, Luke only has 24 chapters, so we're already at the end here, and Jesus is talking about what will be happening uh, at the end of time. He's preparing everyone for the end. Verse 5 to 19, bottom page 80. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, The days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will this be? What will be the sign that this is about to take place? And Jesus said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. But this will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers 
by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Listen for the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, as a disclaimer, I am not he, and I do not know when the end of the world is coming or what all will take place or if the time is near. But I do have this morning a somewhat more modern, personalized, and localized interpretation of this same passage. You can even kind of follow along if you wanted to on these verses. And so here's just one interpretation of this. When some were speaking about First United Methodist Church and how it was adorned with a beautiful steeple and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when the lights in that steeple will go dark, the bricks will crumble, and all will be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And Jesus said, Beware that you are not led astray. You have been giving something special and holy, and there are all kinds of earthly things that will distract you, and evil forces that will pull you away from one another, and the ministry to which you have been called. Do not go after those things. There will be wars and violent uprisings against authorities and governments, maybe in Hong Kong, Chile, Bolivia, or Turkey. There will be international turmoil, conflicts between people of different political systems, faith structures, and ethnic origins. In fact, the natural world will also decline into disorder. Maybe there will be fires in California, hurricanes and tsunamis that devastate coastal lands, and an ever-increasing threat of ecological and environmental danger. You can also anticipate some difficulties for all who believe in me, Jesus says. You will have to evangelize before kings and governors You will have to bring my message into the courts, the legislatures, and into the city council meetings. Jesus says it is you who will be given the right words to say, the wisdom of an eternal and ever-loving God. But this, this will not be fun. This will be a difficult thing to do. But please know that it is my liberating and empowering name that goes with you, Jesus says. And even though you may be harmed, you will not perish. And by your endurance, you will achieve your eschatological goal. Now please note, this is just one man's interpretation. But every Sunday when we gather for worship in the Wesleyan tradition and in every Bible study or Sunday school class that you are a part of, you are hearing messages and having conversations that are founded in Scripture, but then interpreted through the lens of personal experiences, through the traditions that have been passed on through a speaker and then through that person's own mind using logic and reason. 
So when Gary and I prepare these messages for Sunday morning, there is a large degree of our own faith journey and our personal relationships with God that is shared with all of you. And as I said earlier, the message today is perhaps slightly more personal because of conversations that we've already had and through my own prayer and discernment. Before I go any deeper, though, I want to make sure that we're moving forward together with some of the same vocabulary. And so this is the etymological part. If you look with me on the front cover of your bulletin, I'd like to draw your attention to some of these words and share a little bit about my understanding of what they mean. Conservative. And this is, this is little fun things from, from Google. I like these little word use time charts. I think they're fun. Conservative from the late 1300s is tending to preserve or protect. Preservative, having the power to keep whole, to keep safe. Related words are conservation or conservatory. Any musicians here go to a conservatory? Kevin, Stephen in the back, Shenandoah Music Conservatory. Anyways, having the quality of preserving. My friends, there are things that are given to us that are valuable and holy. They can be family values, traditions, systems of working together, special heirlooms. There are many things from my own parents and grandparents that I want to preserve and protect for my own children. Things that I value, that are important to me, I want them to have, to know about, and to cherish as well. I also think that this is a large part of my calling to serve in the church, to serve under the banner of a 2,000-year-old institution means that there's something about the church that I find worth protecting and preserving. It's why I like to wear an alb, this white cloth, on Sunday mornings. It is a garment of the newly baptized reminding myself and you that we are reborn together through baptism, that we are connected to Christ and one another. It's why I wear a scapular, derived from old monk garments, workers in the field as they would gather things. I'm a worker in the kingdom of God. It is my conservative nature that leads me towards environmental justice. I want to protect and preserve the beauty of creation for those who come after me. I love hearing about new conservation efforts, national parks, endangered species coming back. I love that stuff. I am in many ways a conservative. Progressive. Uh, from the 1600s, it's characterized by advancement. On a related word is progression. They all stem from the word progress, from again, the late 1300s. A going on, the action of walking forward. The word progression is the action of moving from one condition to another condition. In as much as there is comfort in things that stay the same, I am thankful for the action that is continually taken by our society to do things like integrate schools, extend voting rights, prevent child labor, and further medical treatments and cures. 
I think that there is a lot of common ground to be found on discerning what was, what is, and how it might be better. This, again, is part of a transformational process, this idea that we might move from one condition to another condition, that we might be changed, that we might move not only forward but upward as well. This, too, is connected to the church because at its inception, the church was one of the most progressive movements to ever exist, a movement that gave the same salvation and grace to both men and women, to Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles, a movement that invites to the same table both the oppressed and their oppressors. I find here again that in many ways I am a progressive, evangelical. From the 1530s, uh, just of or pertaining to the gospel, it could be a Protestant, and it says especially a German one for some reason, I don't know what that's about. Related words, evangel, which just means the gospel. The evangelists from the late 1100s simply meant Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. If we're out here reading the gospel, we say, from the writings of the evangelist, Luke. You'll notice there in the, the middle of the word is angel. Our, our uh, advent last year was all about angels. Who are the angels? They are the messengers of God. That EV or EU, if you're Latin or wherever roots you're coming from, good messenger is where this word comes from another early church usage was itinerant preacher gary are you an evangelist, I'm an evangelist. he's an evangelist i would like to think that it's pretty clear that as a pastor my life has been so greatly influenced by the gospel that i've changed my entire vocation to being one that shares the good news of the gospel this makes me an evangelical through and through. Liberal. Again, 1300s. Generous. Selfless. Extravagant. In the old French, befitting free people. Gracious. Literally, of freedom pertaining to or befitting a free person, unrestricted, unimpeded, unbridled. Some related words, liberty, free choice, freedom to do as one chooses, freedom from the bondage of sin, liberation, the act of setting free from restraint or confinement. It is through the significant impact of my relationship with Jesus Christ that I also maintain a very liberal approach to life and ministry. As Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ himself began his ministry by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus was a 
evangelical. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, free. and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. My friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about being in bondage or being weighed down, but it's knowing that you are being liberated from your enslavement to sin and to death. To feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is to feel your chains fall off. And that's what happens at this table. And I absolutely love it. Now, I've chosen these words because I believe that when many of us read them or hear them, we align them with modern politics and particularly partisan politics. And over the past few years, I've heard from some members of this congregation that we shouldn't discuss politics in church. And I understand that sentiment, but as an evangelical, I don't think the gospel message allows us to compartmentalize our lives in such a neat and comfortable fashion. I think that in our gospel text this morning, Jesus even makes it clear that we have a testimony to convey to our leaders, our kings, and our governors. I've chosen these words because, I don't know if y'all know this, but preaching has gotten a little harder over the last few years. Important theologically necessary words like the ones listed are now so loaded with political implications that everyone immediately retreats to their corners, boxing gloves at the ready. And it's complicated by the fact that even the word politics now just simply means any contemporary issue on which we might disagree. It's like there's some words that we just can't use anymore. Reverend Lee Moses reminds us that in times such as these, it is the preacher's task to remind the congregation that the basic tenets of our faith, grace and mercy, radical hospitality and love of neighbor go beyond politics but they do have political implications. It also reminds news-weary parishioners that their faith claims to mean something about how they live in the world, that being a good person is directly connected to our political systems and structures. Dr. James Smith builds on this by writing that policy is how we love our neighbors. And creating these purity compartments and silos in our lives doesn't release us from the great commandment. The illusion of being non-political is a luxury of privilege that only leaves the vulnerable exposed. And lastly, the many thoughts of Reverend William Lamar resonate with me when he writes that whenever we deploy words, especially in the service of God, we are acting politically. 
There's no such thing as non-political language, especially when that language is bold enough to assert itself theologically. An eschatology, an escha, say this word for me, escha, eschatologically. eschatologically. When our language asserts itself, as our Wesleyan tradition affirms, the church is a praying, singing, preaching, witnessing body. We witness to the inbreaking of God's reign of love, justice, beauty, and abundance in both time and space. And we lament the brokenness, evil, and violence of this world, all at the same time proclaiming that these dastardly realities are ending, even as we groan and press towards the eschatological goal of God's redemption of humanity and all creation. Our prayers, our songs, our sermons, and our testimonies are all acts of political speech. Our speech is political because it is the speech of God's new creation. The church's language is not spectator language. It does work. It has things to do. The church's language has the ambitious agenda of making all things new. And that is political. As I've discerned over the past few months, my goal as a preacher and as one of your pastors is never to be non-political. I bear witness through language and action that the God I serve is the author of the politics of abundance. There is more than enough of the physical, economic, and spiritual requirements for human flourishing, both in this nation and the world. The gospel message that I am called to bring uses words that declare the birth of a new king. It heralds a new ruler, one hated by the Caesars and Herods who continue to kill innocents and crucify dissidents in an attempt to hold on to their power and thwart God's reign. Now please note, in our current, in our current political climate, this is not about party preference. I have mine and y'all have yours, and we read each other's Facebook posts, and we put the bumper stickers on our cars and license plates, and we even wear the little pins to church, and I affirm all of it. Because both parties are woefully and politically inadequate when measured against the politics of Jesus. They make decisions in the service of retaining power when they do justice, it is done incrementally, and they always want to undo the little good that they have done. And I believe that we must be bold to advocate the politics of God's realm, both in the church and outside of the church, because our citizenship is in heaven, and ours is the politics of a new heaven and a new earth. My friends, the day is coming when these lights will go dark and all will be thrown down. I don't know when and I don't know how, 
But I do know that until that day, we are called to conserve and protect the faith that has been given to us, to be transformed as we progress in our own faith, moving from one condition to another, to convey and announce the good news of Christ's liberating love. And we're going to need the whole dictionary to do it. Amen.